episode of Come Over for Dinner. I'm so excited you're joining me today. Today, I have a very special guest. Her name is Kim Hatcher. She's a pastor's wife with six grown children. She has 13 grandchildren and two more are on the way, making a total of 15. So she is one busy lady. Welcome, Kim. Thank you. Thank you for taking time out of your day to join me. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Kim. She was recommended to me by a friend in town named Anne. Her sister is married to one of Kim's sons. So I kind of gathered some information from both of these ladies to tell me a bit about Kim. She was mentioned in one of Nancy Wilson's books in 2006 called Building Her House. And in this book, there's a short chapter talking about Sabbath dinners. Nancy mentioned in there that Kim hosts a Sabbath dinner and she got one of her ideas from Kim. In the book, Nancy talks about doing Sabbath feasting. Sabbath feasting is the chapter that she mentions Kim Hatcher in. She says, when we visit friends' homes, we often come away with ideas to incorporate into our own dinner. Dave and Kim Hatcher sprinkle wrapped chocolates down the center of their table, and they play a story game between dinner and dessert that involves their kids. They also have a great way of teaching the children to wait for the hostess to take the first bite of dessert. If one of the children jumps in before the hostess, they pass that child's dessert around the table and everyone gets to take a bite. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think that would only happen one time to that child. (laughs) It did. And, you know, it didn't, it wasn't a long-standing tradition because I think once or twice, you know, that it happened, it didn't need to happen anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Whoever, everyone watching was horrified and they're like, I will never do that myself. And then the the child that did it was like, I will never do that again. My dessert is gone. Yeah, I'm sure my, I am very sure that my younger children probably don't even know that we did that. Oh, yes. Yeah. (laughs) It was just a joke at the time. Yes. That was written 17 years ago. So that tells you how long she has been hosting family once a week for a marvelous Sabbath dinner on Saturday night. She has been termed an amazing hostess by those who know her. Her daughter-in-law, Kyla, says that she demonstrates tireless and overflowing hospitality to her own family first. She hosts Sabbath dinner and Wednesday soup nights, which is a relief for busy families with little ones. She hosts special holiday meals such as Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter. Oftentimes, this is over 40 people at these larger get-togethers. And another thing that Kyla says is you always want to be there. It's warm and the wine is always flowing. (laughs) What a compliment. I hope my daughter and daughter-in-laws say that about me one day. Well, what you will be surprised by is how incredibly gracious your people are as you get older. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know it's It's all true. It's a little embarrassing sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) They are just so blessed by the effort, the work that you pour, the love that you pour out into all of the the meals that you host and the events that you do. Another thing that was mentioned is that you also have hosted numerous of your children's weddings in your home and you grew all the flowers for one of your daughter's weddings. So you are just a woman of many talents. (laughs) You know that jack of Jack of all trades, trades. master of none. That is, (laughs) that's pretty, (laughs) 
Well, it sounds like your family might argue with you if you've been hosting Sabbath dinner for over 20 years or going on 20 years, then you probably have mastered it. So from your words, tell us a little bit more about your perspective on hosting. You do Sabbath dinners, you have a Wednesday soup night. Tell me a little bit more about what kind of hosting you do in your home and your thoughts on hospitality. Okay. I'm going to start back with God in his kindness. My mom was not walking with the Lord as I grew up in her home. And yet I have been thinking about this. I think that the roots of my thoughts on hospitality go back to my time with my mom. And she was couldn't have told you why she did what she did, but she served people from her home and particularly from her table. My mom's house, not every day, you know, but often would be a place where we would end up, especially as we were out of the house and then had younger children, where it was just like, oh, I can sit down. It was a beautiful but not complicated table, warm, just very, very warm. And she delighted in seeing full people around her table. And God in his kindness put that in me. And I, again, I just don't, I'm very grateful that my theology now has only embellished that. And I, and I, and I think that is that's something I'm very, very grateful for because I, I didn't have to start with a theology and then figure out how to play it out. God has just been very gracious to me. And I have grown up just getting a kick out of blessing people with food. I'm not particularly drawn to cooking. I love to cook, but it really is that seeing people around my table talking and smiling and laughing and just resting and getting full bellies is incredibly gratifying to me. And I'm so thankful for that. I feel like I just get to swim with the grain of that. Well, those are wonderful thoughts, and it is such a blessing to children to be able to come into that, to be able to come in and rest and be full and feel so welcome and just be taken care of by mom again, especially Mm -hmm. if you have a bunch of little ones. Mm -hmm. How did you have the idea for chocolates down the table? And I'm sure you've done many different types of things over the years, but but what Mm -hmm. did it come from that idea of just wanting to delight the children or delight the people Mm -hmm. that were there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we were in Moscow, Dave was at Greyfriars and a lot of our, this is when our theology started kind of fleshing, pushing out a little bit and, and our hospitality started embodying a lot of our theology. And one of the things that was new to us in those years was this idea of rejoicing in the fat things that the Lord has given you as an expression of the gospel We had kind of grown up in an evangelical world that I think emphasized efficiency and practicality before maybe beauty and joy and that kind of thing. And so those were new thoughts to us when we were in Moscow in those early years, the thought of rejoicing in the Lord and what does that look like? What does it look like to live out the gratitude that you have for how incredibly kind and generous and gracious and 
the variety of things that God has done. What does that look like around your table, for instance? And so the chocolates were just, I think, the first thing that came to our mind in terms of what would be super exciting when the kids sat down and saw a table set. It just seemed like chocolates down the table. It was, you know, it's practical. It's not messy. They're wrapped and whatnot. But just to sit down and say, Jesus loves you. Is that not great? Mm-hmm. And to celebrate that together is kind of how we came up with chocolates. That reminds me of Psalm 34, 8 that says, taste and see that the Lord mm-hmm. is good. It's the beginning mm-hmm. and it continues. Mm-hmm. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. But yes, when we talk about taste and see that the Lord is good, oftentimes children are seeing that through actual taste and being cared for the food mm-hmm. that's provided for them, the shelter, the warm bed, the mm-hmm. hot baths, you know, just all the things that you do daily to care for them. That's how they mm-hmm. feel Christ's love. So that's such a great idea to have candies on the table. I know that for the last Grace Agenda, one of the things they did was buy huge bags of taffy Mm. and put that down the tables. Wonderful. Again, it's wrapped and it's mm-hmm. clean, you know, mm-hmm. So, for, but whatever you mm-hmm. want to grab, that was, I think mm-hmm. that was the dessert. That was the sweet thing because it was for the lunch. That night mm-hmm. they had a block party and there was all kinds of food, including actual different desserts you could pick up. But for the lunch, it was the wrapped taffies down all the tables, which was <laughs> such a fun idea. It is. It's wonderful. And a treat because you don't typically go and or have taffy at your home. Yeah. And the other thing that's fun about candy down the middle of your table is it's pretty. You know, it. Mm-hmm. a lot of times if you have a really large table and a lot of little children, it's hard to come up with, how do I, what am I going to put in the middle of my table? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and it's low. It just is a really, really festive, fun filler and all sorts of things you can do with candy or edible things down the middle of your table. Last night we had company and I did not have flowers. I was at the grocery store at the last minute and the flowers just, I wasn't thrilled by them and they were pretty expensive. And so I decided to buy a chocolate orange and because, you know, there's new holiday candy in this store now. (laughs) So on top of this cute little vase, I put a cute little plate and put the cracked the orange and let it fall open on the plate. And that was my centerpiece. Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) It was a small group, but I thought, you know, it's kind of funny that I'm interviewing you and getting this idea (laughs) of let's just do chocolate in the middle of the table. (laughs) I know you probably didn't replace the centerpiece. I was cheating and replace the centerpiece, but. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure I have. What other ideas have you incorporated over the years? Are there any other things that come to mind besides the candy down the table or the chocolate down the table? Are there any other ideas that you've done that you think, oh, I really love this and I come back to this time and time again? Mm -hmm. I haven't done this a lot. We, I think one time did kind of a thing where you just put butcher paper down your whole table and then put a mass of spaghetti or something that you can just grab from the middle and put and that's just a super fun messy but you know when do kids get to do that (laughs) right (laughs) when do they get to eat with their hands (laughs) that's right it has to be the right crowd for sure that's kind of a fun thing trying to think i i will think on that and maybe okay yeah i'm not very good at remembering my children always tell me i can't believe you don't remember that mom. Right. You should probably have interviewed my kids for ideas. Okay. Well, I'll have to add them to my list. Remember. Because <laughs> that, yeah, it's just, it blessed them so that it's stuck in their memory, which is very fun. 
Well, the food on the table, butcher paper down the middle, that reminds me of eating at medieval times. I remember taking mm-hmm. my kids to medieval times years ago. They're, they have them in various parts of the country. We went to the one in Dallas, Dallas, Fort Worth, and one of, probably the oldest one said, Mom, where's the fork? Where's the silverware? <laughs> <laughs> like, well, here you don't have silverware. <laughs> Except medieval times, I mean, you have a... I don't know if it's real pewter, but you have a plate, you know, just and yep. you are eating with your hands, a chicken yep. leg. And yep. I don't even remember the menu, but there's only hands, <laughs> no silverware yep. in sight. Yeah. Yep. That was yep. kind of a fun experience. It is, it is fun. It is fun. And that's the thing with the chocolates, too, is it's a really fun thing in terms of talking about God's generosity, not even talking about it, just showing it. And, you know, children often don't have this freedom to just eat chocolates, just go for it. And I love that. I love showing God's generosity because he has been so generous. So, so generous. Such a great idea. The book also mentions that you play a story game or did in the past. I know this book was written a long time ago. So I know things have changed as your kids have gotten older and maybe your grandchildren are younger. So it it does change. But tell me a bit about the story game that you did do between dinner and dessert. We had a couple things. The story game was one of them with I don't remember how old our children were, but we needed something to keep them. We wanted them at the table longer than just you know, get your meal done. And then, and we usually do some singing and a few things before dessert. So it can get long for them. Mm -hmm. And so we had two kind of go-to things. And one was Dave would start a story of some sort. And I wish I could remember one of them, (laughs) but he would start it. And then everybody would, you know, we would just go around the table and someone would have to add to that story. Um, And then either he would wrap it up at the end or as the kids got older, you know, we would have one of them do the conclusion or whatnot. And then the other thing we did was the animal game. If it was your birthday month, you got to choose an animal. And then we had to, you know, it's kind of 20 questions around that. So they kept it in their head. Yeah. Yeah. They kept it. So if I was choosing, let's say I chose a raccoon, I would be the only one that knew. And then you go around the table and you ask. Is it bigger than a bread box? Is it a mammal? Is it? And so it's just a yes, no question that everybody gets to ask. And then the winner then gets to choose the next animal. And the story, and did you wrap it up in the same dinner time? Like it started it, it between dinner and dessert and was finished that same night? Yes, for sure. Because it often happened that, you know, we would have a different crew for Sabbath dinner the next week or, you know, a lot of out of, you know, out of the home guests or whatnot. So we kept everything, almost everything we did was pretty much contained, no continuing, no second episodes. It was all a short story contained in one meal. Yes. What about your singing? Tell me a bit about that. Dave is a, was a musician by some training, loves music, has all, he was a leader back in the in our evangelical days, he had a band and music has just been a big part of both of our lives growing up. And, and again, when you throw some theological underpinnings to that, it is just glorious. And so singing has been a big, big part of much of our mealtime, particularly 
our Sabbath meals. And we just, whatever book we tend to be using at church at the time, you know, right now it's the Cantus and we take requests and he always has a few that he wants to do. And, and we sing, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes or so. Yeah, it's wonderful. This sounds like a very fun dinner. How many people currently do you have around your table for Sabbath dinner? Yeah, it depends. We have right now, if it's just our family, my one daughter, Elise, is out of town. And so if if she happens to be visiting, I think we have, you would think I would have this math down every Saturday <laughs> I say to myself. <laughs> right. How many plates do I set I out? This math down. It's okay. Um, yeah, no, we have, I think it's 19 without Elise and her family and then 24 if they join us with just our family. Yeah. That's so much fun. Do you kind of potluck where you're where your kids bring something or do you plan and cook everything every every yeah right now you know there have been seasons but right now all of my kids have little people and they are all very competent cooks on their own and very willing you know if I I broke my leg this last winter and they did a lot of the sabbath cooking and whatnot but I like if I can, I really like to do it for them. Sometimes, you know, they will just want to scratch an itch. I think at one point, one of them said, I really want to beef up my dessert making. And so she really wanted to bring dessert every Sabbath for a while. And now she's had a couple more babies and that season has changed. And somebody else has decided they want to bring an appetizer every week. So the girls are always um, willing and happy and and I think love to do it when they can. But I I feel really blessed to be, you know, because Nathan is still in our home, I can't go to them, to my kids as much as I, you know, maybe to go to their home and help clean their home or watch their kids in their home or that kind of thing. I can certainly have them here. But then even then, the once the children get faster than Nathan, it's hard to kind of juggle both. But I can I can feed them, you know, yes. that is something that I can do. And so I God is just, you know, he never leaves you wondering how you can serve. There's always a way. And right. it's never just like somebody else. But there's always something that you can do. Mm-hmm. And I can feed people. And so mm-hmm. I think, well, they're all busy and they have little people and I'm really grateful to be able to do it. And I won't always be able to do it. You know, someday they'll be feeding me. So, (laughs) Right. Well, tell me about Nathan. Is he your oldest son? He is. Yes, he is. He's 35. And he was born with multiple disabilities that have remained with him. He, He can walk, but he's very unbalanced and kind of discoordinated as he walks. So he needs nearby assistance and definitely help through crowds, but he can't talk. He understands what you're saying. And, and then he can't, he doesn't have any fine motor skills. So he has to have help with eating and daily living things. Mm -hmm. So he's pretty dependent. He's, he's dependent on us for pretty much everything. Mm -hmm. So you are very busy. Yes. In different ways, you know, not in the, I'm not teaching at Logos and I'm not, everybody's busy. My flavor is that is my flavor. Is in your home yep. and helping yep. him, caring yep. for him and then serving your other kids that are yep. out of the home when they come back. Yes. Yes. 
Yes. And that's been a delight. You know, it was kind of, I remember anticipating all of my children being gone and falling into the ditch of anticipating that in terms of what it would look like. That's just such a bad recipe. <laughs> but <laughs> and and being tempted to fret a little bit about what in the world will it look like if it's just Dave and me and Nathan, you know. And it's never been Dave and me and Nathan. So that's really wonderful. <laughs> I didn't have waste people. all that energy. <laughs> yes, you worry about the future for no reason. God has exactly it taken right. care of. That's exactly right. Because all your people are nearby, or most of them, and they're always coming back in to be a for part now. of your life. Yep. yep, for now. And I have constantly try to remind myself that this is what it is for now, and it may change drastically. I think that is one thing when you are given the opportunity to serve in a particular way, I think we have to really be careful to fight feeling like we're entitled to that kind of service forever. Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And I, I try often to think through, pray through holding it all really lightly because it is such a blessing. It is mm -hmm. an incredible blessing to have all my people right here. And well, most of them and be able to be boots on the ground with them in that way. But, mm -hmm. but I am tempted, I think, to take it for granted. And I really don't want to do that. So, yeah. Well, I do have news for you. Your future will change with 15 grandchildren. Yes, it will. <laughs> <laughs> I think it will change for the better. Yes. <laughs> As yeah, they get bigger and bigger and bigger, they are going to be more and more wanting your time and attention. And yes. Yes. doing things with you and coming over and learning how to cook and all the things, all the yes. things. So it, yes. it's, it yes. is a very bright future. It is. In fact, I have to say just Friday, our church did a little conference. And so we were having a larger than usual Sabbath dinner with a lot of people coming. And my grandkids came over from one family, one family, Tyler, my second under Nathan, they were the first to start having kids. And so they had probably five before anybody else or four, maybe before anybody else started having kids. So they have some that are a little bit older, you know, like eight, nine, seven in there. And I was making this big jambalaya recipe and they, I had my island all set up and the one of them was slicing you know, kielbasa and one of them was slicing mini peppers and one of them did six pints of cherry tomatoes and one of them seeded the tomatoes and it was uh, unbelievably fun and helpful like mm -hmm. super helpful so yes if you have I somebody chopping of, for you uh, it goes so yeah. much faster and it was really you know it kind of shifted from a lot of times i have some sort of project that they can do that's not necessarily helping me you know but it was like, wow, maybe we're turning a corner here. Absolutely. <laughs> fun and efficient. <laughs> Absolutely. I really like your point earlier, too, about how we can fall in the temptation of predicting our future or envisioning our future and thinking through exactly how we want our future to go. And we really put that in our minds as something that will happen, I guess, or that we expect mm -hmm. to happen. Mm -hmm. Instead of trusting that God knows the future, he sees the entire picture of our lives and knows what is the best thing mm -hmm. for us. And sometimes it's what we envision. And a lot of times it's not. 
Yep. Yep. It's the truth. A yeah. lot of times your your path takes a twist or a turn and you would not have planned that at all. And mm-hmm. looking back years later, sometimes we know the reasons and sometimes we don't. But a lot of times you can, after the fact, look back and say, oh, wow, God really did know what mm-hmm. was best for me. Mm-hmm. I really do recognize that was the best thing that could have happened. Mm-hmm. And you would never have chosen that for yourself. No. So just no. to go forward in faith and trusting that God knows the path in front of you. Mm-hmm. And you can openly receive it, receive mm-hmm. it as a blessing, whatever it is, and don't get locked into whatever you have in your own head, because mm-hmm. it's not as good as what God has for you. <laughs> no, no. And yes. Yeah. Well, on the note of cooking for people and blessing people, tell me what is one of the favorite menus you serve to your company, to all those kids and grandkids coming back into your home? Well, I it has shifted, obviously, over the years. And I'm recently on a bit of a sheet pan kick. I've decided it's like a variation on the soup pot theme, kind of a fun variation. So I have been this jambalaya recipe. I, I used it a few times over the last year. And this was the first time that I did big batch of it. And I've been pretty excited about sheet pan meals. So yeah. They make sheet pans make it very easy to cook for a crowd. Yeah, they really, really do. And we have a I don't have a you know a double oven or anything like that. And but I do have a pellet smoker. And so I kind of use that as my second oven. So it's been really, really great. And most sheet pan meals, I have come to realize you can do them and then store them, you know, to bring them and reheat them back on pans later, which is really nice, especially when you have a lot, a lot, a lot of people. So you can cook your sheet pan meals ahead of time and freeze or not freeze them, but put them in the refrigerator and mm-hmm. reheat them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, just put them in big Ziploc bags. If you don't have space, I was able to just use my chafing pans in my refrigerator that just kind of worked. But yeah, and then you just put them back on the sheet pan with a little bit of olive oil and heat them up real high. And it's really nice. Do you have a certain title for this recipe? Yeah, I just, so I was in, Dave and I were in, oh, Cannon Beach, I think it was this summer. We were down for a conference at another church and I went into, I'm a cookbook girl. I love cookbooks. I really like cookbooks. And and I found this little cookbook on sheet pan meals. And so this is called Big Pan Jambalaya and it's a great recipe. Yeah. I've never heard of making jambalaya on a sheet pan. That's an incredible idea. Yes, yes. And what was really the reason I liked it for this big group was it wasn't soupy at all. It was it it went really nicely on a plate. So that was great. It's it's probably drier than a traditional jambalaya. Mm -hmm. I think they're probably using jambalaya loosely. It has all the jambalaya kind of ingredients. Right. But But a sheet pan version. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, you know, jambalaya can be a little more intensive on the prepping end of things. And this was really wonderful. Was it a one bowl meal or did you have sides with it or or was it just, hey, this is all I have to do? This was the main deal. And then I had a pumpkin cornbread 
that I served with it. And then I had one of the other gals that was coming brought a yummy green salad with some squash and cranberries. And it was yummy. It was that wonderful. Sounds delicious. Yeah. Did you get the recipe from her? <laughs> I'm going to. You'll have to see to. if she'll share it. And yeah. then I have never in my life heard of a pumpkin cornbread. What I in the world? Either. I know. I hadn't either. This year, I don't know why. I think maybe I had some extra pumpkin or something and I didn't want to make pumpkin bread. And and I think I was having something on a soup night that just sounded like cornbread would be good. But I had this pumpkin. I just thought, is pumpkin cornbread even a thing? And sure enough, it is. <laughs> and it's really good. It, this particular one has pretty much equal parts flour and corn meal. And then for the liquid, I think they maybe use a little less oil, but they've got the pumpkin puree and then it's sweetened with brown sugar and molasses. It's wonderful. It is really, really wonderful. You serve it with, you can serve it with like a maple butter, just butter with, instead of honey butter, just put some maple syrup in some butter. And yeah, it was, I think I've probably made it four or five times since September. Did yeah. you just Google the recipe and find it? or did I did. You... I Googled. I just put in pumpkin cornbread, just seeing if it was even a thing. And there were a lot of little hits on it. Yeah. Wow. This is so <laughs> interesting. I want to make this for fall. I'm with yeah. you. I mean, I feel like if you've made it that many times since September, <laughs> then this is this has to be a hit. So, yeah, and I love maple yeah. syrup. It's my favorite. So I, I love honey butter, but I would definitely try some maple yeah. butter. Yeah. Okay. It's well, I'll really have to get great. this recipe from you yes. and post this one as well. Yes. You said the sheet pan dinner, the pumpkin cornbread, and that delicious salad. Do you ever serve a dessert? Or we I know do. you said sometimes your girls bring a dessert. Mm-hmm. Yep. We do. I farmed that out. Well, actually, one of my girls just said she was going to bring some dessert. And and I asked people, and then one of the gals that was coming also asked if she could bring something. And I asked them to bring, I really like just for our crowds, if I'm going to have a very large crowd, I'm not, I'm kind of short on, again, I don't want to overload my moms. You know, when, when we were a few years back, I had all these able-bodied big people in my house that really did a lot of the cleaning and prepping and all of that kind of thing. And I don't, those people are all very busy at the table now themselves. So I try to do things that minimize dishes and numbers of people that need to serve things. So um, I asked people this time just to bring a finger dessert, something I could put on wood planks and just pass down the table mm-hmm. with a napkin and things. Mm-hmm. So somebody brought some brownies, yummy amplified brownies. And one of my girls made a shortbread. Oh, this was amazing. These were shortbread cookies with salted chocolate chunk or something. They were really, really, really good. I'm going to have to ask for this recipe too. Yes, I will. I will. It was, they were yummy, really, really yummy. And I was telling her they would be so cute. She was, it was one of those recipes, you know, where you roll everything in a tube and then you slice them. Uh So it'd be a super sweet gift idea or even table part. Oh, and that is something I've done at my table, actually, instead of chocolates is little bags or Christmas ornament or you know, some little something lollipop. Oh, lollipops. We went through a lollipop phase where I did little bases of lollipops um, instead of the chocolates. You know, if it changes so much depending on who you've got at your table. 
when you said you made little treat bags, what did you put inside? Different. I've done different things. There was one time I made like a tiki mix for my older kids. Like it was like a bacon and dried pineapple and nuts and kind of spicy, that kind of thing. Mostly it's candy or nuts or something like that. Mm-hmm. Just a little and, snack or treat. Right. But now it's much more centered around candy because that's, I have a lot of little people around mm-hmm. the table. The that's big, what they look forward to. <laughs> yeah. The big people are way more interested in the charcuterie or wine before dinner than they are the Right. (laughs) Let's take a quick break. Are you searching for hands on activities to help your kids explore the practical side of science? Look no further than your kitchen. Inquisicook blends food science and culinary arts into an engaging program that puts delicious food on the family table. Let Inquisicook do the teaching with lesson videos, reliable recipes, and assessment tools that puts students on track for success. Their online platform is easy to navigate and optimized for mobile, so the learning experience can move from the classroom to the kitchen without a hitch. Inquisicook turns curious students into intuitive cooks, not just recipe followers. Say goodbye to the tyranny of the ingredients list and say hello to utilizing what's in season, what's on sale, or what's in the fridge. Visit inquisicook.com to view sample lessons, then check out the recipe gallery to see just how crave-worthy science can be. So we talked a little bit about a shortcut or time saver being you can make the sheet pan dinner ahead of time. I'm sure you can make your cornbread ahead of time. Have you ever frozen it and then pulled it out later? The cornbread? Yes. Well, I have not. I've That's a recent ad. So this sheet pan recipe, you put cooked rice on the sheet pan, you know, that's one of the steps. And so you can definitely do that ahead of time. Make your, you know, steam your rice ahead of time. Just having all the veggies and meat. I mean, that was such a time saver for me. I used to be a lot more nimble at last minute multitasking, that kind of thing. And I'm not anymore. And again, like I said, a lot of it, it's kind of in, I've lost those big people helpers that I used to have. And, and when I say I've lost that by choice and my girls would love to jump in and help, but I would really like them not to have to this one time in the week that they have. So, so because of that, I have gotten much more inclined to do things in pieces ahead of time. Mm -hmm. I can't quite do it at the end, the way I used to be able to do it. So Mm -hmm. I think you do have to think through it differently when it's only you and you don't have a lot of hands to help because I'm the same way now. I had five at home at one time. And so very quickly at the end, you can send them all over the house in five different directions to get everything clean, you know, a quick little pickup or vacuum or wipe the bathroom down or whatever it is. And Uh now if it's just me, I can't, I can't move that fast. I can't get the whole house clean and finish dinner and set the table and, and, and. So I definitely have to think about it ahead of time. (laughs) Me too. Me too. So what is your best prep tip when you're having a crowd coming in? Do you have any specific cooking inspiration? I know you said you love cookbooks. So if you had a favorite, you could share that. Or do you have any particular shopping or cleaning tips or ways that you prepare? Yeah, I... 
really the doing things ahead of time is probably my is my biggest help. And then shopping ahead of time as well, because inevitably for me, I have forgotten something or we've had a last minute ad or something has changed. And so if I have, there's always a last minute run to the store anyway, at least for me. And so if I have all of my shopping done ahead of time, that gives me just a lot more flexibility to get things done ahead of time sooner. Yeah. And I try also to, and I feel like this is still a work in progress for me. You know, there's this, there's this balance of having things done ahead of time and having them hot and not having them mushy kind of, you know, how to do that. So I, I try to have as much cooked as I can before everybody gets in, but that isn't, it just doesn't always work. It seems like there's something that just doesn't do well unless you're really cooking it at the end. So probably my tip would be if you're having a big crowd, choose something that you can do ahead of time. You know, it might not be the time if it's just you. Um, and well, and Dave, Dave is an amazing help on the smoker and the grill and whatnot. But but if it's just you, you know, steak might not be the thing to do because it's really hard to pull off ahead of time or salmon or, you know, I mean, some of those things where you need to do something at the end. Mm -hmm. What is your best advice for showing warm hospitality to those coming into your home? Again, you've touched on this by just being willing to do so much ahead of time so that your children are blessed when they walk in. There's just less for them to do having young children at home. But do you have any other tips for how you create a warm and welcoming environment? In the winter and fall, I just don't think you can have too much candlelight around your house. I think that just is warm. You know, if you're kind of like, wow, I don't know how to make my home warm. I would say in the fall and winter and even early spring, candles are really, you just feel cozy. So candlelight around, you know, different places in your kitchen, around your island, that kind of thing. And then I I think people feel the most comfortable when they have something to do when they get to your home. You know, especially if you don't know them well or and a lot of times we want to have everything done ahead of time to bless our people, but sometimes I think depending on your crowd, it is a huge blessing when someone says, "Can I do anything?" and you actually have something they can do. That just makes them feel way more comfortable to be able to help. So depending on who I'm going to have, I certainly don't do this if it's people I'm really familiar with and, you know, there's going to be enough fellowship and chatting without that. But if I'm having someone over a family or people who feel just aren't quite as comfortable or sure of themselves or whatever, I will try to hold something back that they can do if they ask and I can do it quickly if they don't ask kind of thing. But just to kind of let them in on the process. I have a friend who has done this as an event, and I just think it's such a really interesting idea in terms of hospitality. She has had like these brunches where she invites, you know, maybe six or eight people and they cook. She has a menu and all these different things and they cook the entire meal together. And I think what a wonderful way to disarm people and bring them in, particularly if they're not super, you know, wow, I never could do hospitality or I'm not a very good cook or whatever. 
build confidence and just get their feet wet. And I just think that's, I haven't done it yet. Well, I suppose sometimes I do it all the time with my people, but as an out, you know, bringing people in that aren't as comfortable, I think that is a super idea that I didn't have, but I think it's really good. That's a great tip. That one is definitely, I'm sure, going to be used after people hear it. (laughs) Yeah, genius. (laughs) Yes, I thought so. I thought so. Yeah. So do you know kind of what she makes for the brunch? Does she have like waffles or is it, I mean, or do you know what her menu is? Just in general, I'm sure it could change. Yeah, I don't. I know that one of them was some sort of a pastry cinnamon roll type thing. So she must have had the dough to a certain point or something. But it didn't sound like a super scaled down, simple menu. It sounded, you know, there was probably an egg dish and then this pastry and then maybe a drink mimosa or something. And yeah, it sounded just really, really great. And brunch is a good meal to do that. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that sounds <laughs> elegant. And, you know, if you have, let's say, eight people, well, if they're all doing something, it would come mm-hmm. together fast. If you have eight people in the kitchen creating yep. something. Yeah. You yep. could have an elegant spread and it yes. just be really delicious yes. and fun, yes. a fun Absolutely. activity. Yeah. And yep. like you mentioned, if someone wasn't real confident in the kitchen, that would be a way that it's almost like a cooking class because mm-hmm. the host mm-hmm. would be there to guide them and teach them mm-hmm. and show them, oh, well, you do this for cinnamon rolls or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like you said, if it was cinnamon rolls, you probably have to have the dough to a certain point, but it could be that they're just doing the finishing touches and mm-hmm. like, oh, wait, I, I can, I've never made cinnamon rolls before. I can do this now. It's really fun. What is your must-have kitchen item and where can we find it? My small must-have kitchen item is a, it's an inch and a half wide little spatula that I got at Pampered Chef. It's probably five to six inches long. And less than two inches wide. And I have said way before you asked me, I thought, okay, if I had one thing that I would, that I try to make sure everybody at a bridal shower has, or my go-to thing, it would be that and, or Pampered Chef also has a fabulous garlic press. You know, you don't have to peel the garlic and it's really powerful. And I've had mine for. 40 years now, maybe that's still kicking. (laughs) That is worth the money. Yeah. Yeah. That is definitely worth whatever they're asking for it. If it has lasted 40 years and it's still going. Yes. And then my big item would be for me as big a sheet pan as you can fit in your oven, about four of them. It's funny that you say that because at Costco, Things change so much that I don't know that they're still there, but USA Pans, it's a company that's in the U.S. and they create their own product. I've ordered not the the sheet pans, but in the past I had ordered like a brownie pan off mm-hmm. Amazon and it's very good quality. And I don't remember it being terribly expensive, but it was more expensive mm-hmm. than it wasn't mm-hmm. cheap. Mm-hmm. Costco happened to have two a two-pack of the USA sheet pans, mm. and they are fabulous, such mm. high quality, and they were only $25. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, it just makes each one 12 something. Yes. So yes. I went back, and I bought one for my daughter-in-law, and I bought another set for me, and yeah, yeah, I thought, yeah. I wonder if I could haul these down south to my other daughter and daughter-in-law. <laughs> 
because online, if I had looked him up on Amazon, I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. that buying two would have cost much more than $25. Yes. yes. But I'm yeah. sure now that they don't have them. Yeah. So it's worth checking, you know, if you do go to those big club yep. warehouses, yep. just checking in the seasonal yep. aisle because sometimes around Christmas time or Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. they'll have those bigger items. Mm-hmm. And these are huge. I had what I thought was a sheet pan. It was like a cookie sheet from, well, I'm sure it's called a sheet pan and it's probably a quarter size. I bought it from TJ Maxx or somewhere like that, you know, years and years ago and thought, well, I have a sheet pan. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I was very mistaken. <laughs> I did not realize how small it was until I got the half sheet pan or the one, yep. like you're saying, that almost fills up your entire oven yep, shelf. Yep, yep, yep. It has been amazing. It's, it's I, wonderful. Yes. You can cook so much more on there. Yes. I love it yeah. so much. So I yeah. second your recommendation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you can, I have found them very inexpensively at restaurant supply companies. I think in Lewiston, there is a, well, it used to be, now I think it's Chef's Chef Supply Company. Or it used to be Cash and Carry, but they've okay. changed. I know uh, what you're talking about because I just visited there with my sister because I'd never been in before and someone else had told me about it. I yeah. think it's called, let me look it up really quick. U.S. US Chef, Chef Store. Maybe, yeah, U.S. Chef Store. I think it's U.S. Foods Chef's Store. It's a wholesale grocer. Anybody can go in. It's right next door to Costco in Lewiston. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. actually, I think, on the Washington side. The address is Clarkston, Washington. But yeah, so anybody can go in. They have bulk foods or non-bulk foods. And then they have products, like you're saying, too. So Mm -hmm. that's a great resource. Mm -hmm. Yes, I have gotten a lot of big things there, you know, big bowls or like I said, the sheet pans, and they're not, they're not super expensive. So that's and good. are they pretty nonstick? Like the, the they, sheet pans you buy, are they nonstick or do they? They, you know, I don't have too much. I mean, they take a little elbow grease at the end of the day, but I don't know. I don't have anything that's really advertised as nonstick, but most of my stuff is pretty okay. And they do okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not, you you know you make cookies or whatever and there's they don't stick at all. If you're going to do right. a sheet pan dinner where you're or roasting potatoes or something like that, then you're going to have a little more work to clean them. But mm-hmm. I have a hot tip. Have okay. you ever used? <laughs> <laughs> if you're doing some kind of recipe that you know is going to stick or kind of stick, and there's going to be a lot of elbow grease and and stuck on food, have you ever used nonstick foil? No. Have you ever have heard of nonstick? Foil, I used, no, I use heavy duty foil a lot. Yes. Yeah, so a lot I of people line their pans with parchment paper, which sometimes can steam instead yeah. of it getting. Yeah. So then some people, you know, people use foil because they don't want it to steam. I my, I think it was my daughter and one of my sisters. I mentioned using nonstick foil, foil and they're like, well, what is that? I'm like, what? People do not know about nonstick foil. How I, I have failed as a mother and a sister. <laughs> I have failed because you have to have it in your arsenal. I have okay. had a role for years in my pantry. And I guess, I don't know, maybe my kids just assumed it was regular foil. I don't use it real often, but I use it on the times that I know this is going to stick. Yeah. And so where did you get it? it? Anywhere, anywhere, Walmart. Huh. 
It's just called nonstick foil. It's by Reynolds. Well, maybe other brands make it too, but just the same person that makes regular foil makes something that's called nonstick foil. I'll put a link on my website so everybody can just see what it looks like. I think it's yellow on my box. I could be wrong. But I use it especially for, on my website, I have a recipe for sweet and salty pecans. And it doesn't matter that there's some oil on them. You put them in a sugar syrup and then you cook them for a little while and then you drizzle some, I think Uh. it's drizzle a little bit of oil, like olive oil or something like that. And then a seasoning, they're kind of like spice nuts. And you would think they're not going to stick. They stick every time. Uh It doesn't matter what you put them on, if it's regular foil or whatever. Uh So the Uh nonstick foil makes it so easy to make this. And well, I've done it with go. other sheet pan things that I know are going to stick like potatoes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So hot tip. And then there's yeah, it no is a cleanup. hot tip. That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah. That is really wonderful. There's no elbow grease. And the other yeah. thing is, is that even if you put foil down and you're saving yourself washing your pan, you're having to, if it sticks to the foil, you're having to kind of try yes. to scrape it off the foil yes. and then make sure no foil is tearing yep. and getting on your food. And yep. it just takes yep. so yep. much yep. time. Yep. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is good to know. Yeah. I never have tried foil with my sheet pan dinners because of that. I just think we'd be eating a lot of foil. (laughs) (laughs) You'd rather just be scraping off the sheet pan. (laughs) Yeah. 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 But I have used, I use it a lot for like bake. I do all my bacon in the oven Mm -hmm. and I just use heavy duty foil, but yes, the candied nuts. Now that I'm going to try that nonstick foil. <laughs> yes, try the nonstick foil. These nuts are a must around the holidays, I think. They're just perfect for setting out as a little appetizer at a party or a dinner. You just have to make sure that your your guests know don't eat too many of them <laughs> ahead of time. <laughs> Maybe don't set out a giant amount <laughs> because they are, you just cannot eat just one. It's oh, yeah, I'm sure. pretty addictive. <laughs> I'm sure they are a must around the holidays, but you have to do nonstick foil because I don't know how many times I have made them and forgotten. And it's just, it's Um, awful. You're just holding up a piece of foil and scraping because the shredding it, (laughs) shredding it. (laughs) (laughs) Not, not good times on those days. No, no. Speaking of another must have holiday holiday recipe. I don't know why this is popping in my head, probably because you're just going to release around the holidays, peanut brittle, which you don't actually have to use nonstick anything for this, but I have a peanut brittle recipe that is also something that is really fun to set out. I would recommend the end of dinner. One time I set it out, we had Thanksgiving at my house (laughs) and I set it out ahead of time and thinking everyone's going to have just this small little nibble, you know, just taste it. And then we'll have our Thanksgiving dinner. And, you know, my sister-in-law, it was hilarious because I thought the kids I'll have to keep an eye on. Well, you can have one piece. Well, my sister-in-law comes in and you just don't realize that you're eating piece <laughs> after piece after piece. She was so full by the time lunch started. <laughs> could hardly eat Thanksgiving dinner. Like I did not think I was going to have to watch the adults. <laughs> what in the world? And she how was probably know? so sad because you're so excited to eat Thanksgiving dinner. I know. Yeah. She kind of nibbled at it. I also had that thought of like, cause I did kind of notice she was, you know, kept snacking on it, but I'm like, how do you tell a grown adult to stop eating candy? <laughs> 
So I always make peanut brittle for my son's birthday. One of, one of my sons, that's what he requests every birthday. So it's once a year and then usually around Christmas time too, but his birthday's in November. So we always have it around Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. <laughs> birthday happens to be on Thanksgiving this year, but you know, some days it's just around Thanksgiving. So he has to have that. It's not a healthy recipe, you know, peanut brittle. <laughs> well, most good things are not. Well, a lot of right. good things are not. <laughs> it's a treat. That's right. So from all your years of hospitality, do you have a story of a success or a fail, something funny, a story that you would like to share with us? I think one of the ways I got so comfortable with big batch cooking. So we have... 20 some every week, but then it's not unusual at all to have a lot more people. You know, we've converted our garage at times to multiple tables and whatnot. And I think one of the reasons that has happened so easily for me is that I I don't remember which kiddo, we have a school like Logos out here and they have a fall retreat that they do just to they go away for three or four days, all the secondary. And it's great time for, you know, new kids to get to know each other. And they have different house sports and competitions and whatnot. And it's at a retreat center, you know, with a big industrial kitchen and cabins and all that kind of thing. And the gentleman who had been who had done the food for the retreat for years became ill or couldn't do it for some reason. And I have had this secret fantasy, <laughs> kind of like <laughs> the way a lot of guys think they want to drive a big Mack truck or something. But I have always wanted to cook in an industrial kitchen, like with one of those huge griddles. And it just really sounded super fun to me. So, and I've never, and, and that's a, that's a, personality flaw of mine. Things sound really fun, but I don't, I haven't at all cost, you know, calculated the cost or the anything. It just sounds really fun. So I tend to jump first and figure it out later. I met with this gentleman and figured out, you know, some of what he had done and worked on it and blah, 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 blah. blah. And we go and things are going really well the first night. I think we had tacos or something. And and then for the morning, he really wanted all of the breakfast food ready at eight o'clock, I think it was. And the guy before me had done the same kind of meal every day or something. And I thought, oh, I want to do, I think it'd be really a lot more efficient if I do, you know, big batches of like a hash brown egg casserole type thing, rather than you know, messing with all of the scrambled eggs and the bacon and all of that. If I just prep it all ahead of time and then throw it in pans and cook it that morning. Yeah, this yeah, sounds this very sounds reasonable very- to me. It sounded reasonable to me too. But I, and this has continued to haunt me. I've gotten better through the years, but I I frequently forget how much longer a huge batch of something is going to take to cook than a regular batch kind of thing. So I th- I don't know how many I had. These were deep chafing dishes, you know, the aluminum foil ones. And so they're deep. And I had, you know, it all prepped in, in the refrigerator. And I got up and I was in the kitchen like at five and I pulled them out and thought, you know, if I cook them for an hour, that'll be fine. And so I put them in the oven and I hadn't tested the ovens or, 
you know, anything special. I just assumed they were regular. Well, it got to be five to eight and I opened, I'd been checking them and they seemed really slow, but I thought, well, they'll come around, (laughs) maybe 10 to eight. And they're really rather soupy. And I feel this incredible pressure because there's a hundred and some students out there. And the, and the guy who was organizing, it was just one of those kind of quiet, you really wanted to do exactly what he said and not be funny about it, you know, kind of thing. So I didn't, I just didn't know what to do. So I have had this secret fantasy of working on these big griddles. I turned on the griddles and I took those big pans and I just poured it on the griddle and just started, you know, moving and chopping and folding. And it was the biggest mess. It worked out. Okay. I mean, stuff came out. Okay. And I just put a bunch of cheese on top. So it looked okay at the end, but you, it was the biggest mess in that, uh, it was the biggest mess ever, <laughs> but it came out okay. So that's the like my big disaster fail learning curve. But doing that, and I would say to somebody who's a little reticent about cooking for numbers of people, chum up with somebody if you're nervous or just do something that sounds like you wouldn't be able to do it. And then the things that you can do, it just, it kind of, unfold to a new level or something because I was way out of my league but I learned so much and it it proved to be so helpful I never would have considered making the food for my daughter's wedding had I not had that experience but that experience just really I thought well gosh I had to feed 100 plus kids three times a day for all those days I can do one wedding you know one meal it was more people, but it's just one meal, you know? Mm. So that would be my, I don't know. You didn't ask me for this, but I, for advice in terms of, I feel really nervous about cooking for a crowd. And so I would say, find somebody who does it or find something that sounds kind of fun, but you don't think you could do it and just go do it. Try it. Step outside of your comfort zone. That is great advice. I love your extra advice. Keep it coming. (laughs) (laughs) And how fun that your your dream of using a griddle really did turn out that God wanted you to learn how to use that griddle. And, you know, one of the things that we say at Logos, there's assembly sayings, they call them. And one of them is never the teacher or the leader says never. And the children answer panic. And then you say it again. You say it three times. So it's never panic, never panic, (laughs) never panic. (laughs) And by the third one, they're a bit louder and it's funny. (laughs) But we use that all the time to teach through different stories and history and things like that. Like I'm with my second graders and being in the Northwest where you were talking about the Lewis and Clark history and their travels and Charbonneau and he was the, well, Sacagawea is how we say it, but you know, if you're really, I guess with it, you can say Sacagawea or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I learned this on a video. Regardless, he was her husband and he was the interpreter that they hired to go with them. And he wasn't such a great character but throughout the story, it's so good. Even as second graders, we have ha- we've stopped a couple of times and when he has been panicking and not helping the party, not helping the expedition, he's he's panicked. And so 
other people are calmly doing something, including his wife, you know, who's calmly helping save supplies or whatever it is. And, <laughs> and I say, so kids, never <laughs> panic. <laughs> so what a valuable lesson as you grow up, you're, you're continuing that because it really, it's true that your mind can shut down if yes. you start panic. But if you don't, yes. you just say, what can I do? Yeah. And yeah. all of a sudden you see those griddles there and you go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it was delicious and beautiful. So I don't I, know, but it, it they were fed, which I was thankful. And I, I not only got to cook on a griddle, I really got to learn how to clean it. <laughs> it was a mess. So you knew that you could not only cook for your daughter's wedding, but you could also clean up after <laughs> the wedding. Right. That's right. <laughs> oh, wow. How funny. <laughs> and so you did the food, all of the food and flowers for at well, least one wedding. Yeah. And the flower that flowers makes it sound uh, so flowers. Here's what the flowers were. The flowers were wildflowers in various size bottles up and down. So it wasn't like I, I do have a rose garden, but I could not have done the whole wedding with my roses or do you know what I mean? So it was, mm -hmm. you know, sunflowers and daisies and cosmos and some dahlias. And it wasn't difficult gardening. It was pretty carefree. So it wasn't like you know, when you think of a wedding, sometimes you think of some formal floral arrangements and it wasn't, I didn't grow that kind of flowers, but I did, I did grow some that were new to me. I grew flocks for the first time and some green zinnias. Um, it was fun. It was very fun. Well, it sounds very beautiful and lovely for, and was it an outdoor wedding? It was, it was. Yeah. Yes. Very lovely for an outdoor wedding. Yeah, it was fun. Well, I love your last minute tips on big hospitality. All listeners go out and find a friend or just jump in with both feet and do it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kim, for joining me. If you are looking for her recipes that we've talked about, go to comeoverfordinner.com. They're on my website. She'll have a blog post. It's under recipes. And you can also look in the index for different categories of food, and they'll also be there as well. Thank you, Kim, for joining me. Oh, thank you. It was very fun. Be sure to rate this episode to help other listeners discover a new podcast or tell your friends about it. If you want to connect with me on social media, I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Come Over for Dinner and a website, comeoverfordinner.com. I'm also on patreon.com under Come Over for Dinner. Until next time, bye for now. Bye.